1992 U.S. men's Olympic basketball team is considered the greatest collection of basketball talent to ever be collected on one roster. So much so that it was uh, given the moniker, the nickname, known as the Dream Team. Guys like Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Clyde Drexler made up the roster. In fact, 11 out of these 12 players are now in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Sorry, Christian Leitner, you just weren't good enough to make the cut. The Dream Team took their talents to Barcelona, Spain, where they took home the gold medal with ease, going 8-0 with no problems. They averaged 117.3 points per game and won by a margin of victory on average of over 43 points. Now, as the entire world is descending onto this one city to celebrate all of these various professional athletes over various sports, the Dream Team kind of stood above the rest. Not only were they some of the most recognizable faces, some of them are the most recognizable and famous faces today, they were basketball players, and so let's just say they, uh, they stand a little taller than everyone else. But the mass and the hysteria around the Dream Team was so pronounced that they tell us that it oftentimes took hours for the team to travel from their hotel to the arena that was merely a couple miles away. That the people would crowd so much around the bus to try to get pictures or to try to provoke them off to, to meet some of their famous uh, players that they went there to see. Except for one player by the name of John Stockton. John Stockton, let's just say, is a more average-looking guy and who decided, I'm sick and tired of, of waiting on this bus for hours to go miles. Instead, why don't I just walk? And this is what happened next. Uh, fellow Americans, really not much different from Michael Jordan walking through here. Hi. Hi. Are you an American? You look wonderful. Why, thank you. You like the dream team, huh? Yeah, I Charles Barkley the other night. Did you? He's a old player. I see you got all the players right there on your yeah. shirt. Is Charles the only one you've ever seen? No, Hey, guys, do you know any of those guys on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, who? Who's that? That's your dad? Too bad he's not here. I do, yeah. We're making a point that nobody ever recognized you. I hate this. I can't go anywhere without being bugged. You know, there are a lot of ways to stand out in this life. I'd say most of us, if we want to stand out, if we're going to be different, we want those to be for good reasons, for powerful reasons, for purposeful reasons, reasons that compel others to ask questions, what makes you different? I want to know more. I want to know why you are choosing to live and act in a way that is different than the world around you. And that's kind of the tension for today's week as we continue our study through the book of Titus. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Titus chapter 2 this morning. Titus is found in the New Testament. It's near the back of your Bible. If you find the other T's, First and 2 Thessalonians, First and 2 Timothy, you'll find Titus right behind those. As we're turning there, one of the things that we hope you will take advantage of is our bookmark. What this bookmark is, it breaks down the entire letter of Titus, uh, about a couple passages a day. 
today, a couple verses uh, for the next two weeks. Last week was week one, this week is week two, next week will be chapter three. On one side, there's the passages to read, on the other side are response questions that you can talk through, maybe journal, or use in your group to, to see and understand what are these passages saying, but more importantly, how do I live this passage out as a follower of Jesus? One of the things you can also do is join us every day on Facebook. You'll get a devotion from one of our pastors that can help you in your understanding and application of this verse. You can also go to fcc-online.org forward slash different where you can download or share this bookmark as well as watch a helpful overview video of the context of the letter to Titus. So as we get ready to dive in though, last week we kind of set the foundation saying that in chapter one it was all about this command to believe different. That before we act different or seek a, to live in a meaning different from the world around us, we first have to believe different. And ultimately, this stems from Paul's command to Titus that we as disciples, we as the church, we as Christians, we are called to be different. Ultimately, that there is an inseparable link between our beliefs and our behaviors, that the truths of the scriptures, the truths of the gospel should not only affect our minds and what we believe, but our hearts and how we live it out. And so week one was all about find the leaders, find the people, remind the Christians that we believe different because of Jesus. And this leads us into week two about how we are called to act different. You see, the book of Titus was written by the Apostle Paul. He, he started as a missionary to the island of Crete. He preached the gospel, raised up some disciples, created a church, and then he left and went to his new city, leaving behind the young Titus to kind of pastor and shepherd this church. Well, over time, these leaders and Christians from the island of Crete began to creep their way in to the church, and they began to shift and tweak and change the focus of the gospel. Namely, their, their whole belief was that as long as you say and claim the right things about faith and spirituality, that's all that matters. That you don't actually have to live it out. You don't have to actually be obedient to what that the gospel is calling us to do. And so Paul, he kind of hears about this. He freaks out. He begins to write the letter of Titus saying, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Remember, what we believe affects what we do. There is an inseparable link. We cannot separate the two. And here's the thing as we dive into this morning. As we understand how we are to believe and to act different, here's what I need us to know is that our different, it needs to be compelling. Our different isn't to be judgmental or hypocritical. Our different isn't to be condescending. Our different is to be compelling. That there is a love, a grace, and a commitment to our different that causes others to ask questions what makes you different? How can I know more? Teach me. Help me find out and discover this gospel in Jesus for my own life. This is where Titus chapter 2 picks up. Chapter 2 verse 1, he says, you, this is Paul writing directly to Titus at this moment, you, Titus, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And we're going to pause there as we dive in this morning. So, so Paul kind of shifts his letter and he begins to look directly at Titus. He said, okay, now Titus, you as the pastor, you as the preacher, the evangelist, the teacher of this entire church, I want you to do one thing and I want you to do this one thing better than anyone else and I want you to do it well. And so he gives them this, this command to teach sound doctrine. 
Now, if we were to break this phrase down, we could break it up in each word. The word teach literally means to speak, but to speak towards obedience, meaning that you need to describe to people not just the truth, but how they are to live out those truths. And you say, well, so what are those truths? What are they supposed to be obedient towards? Well, it's sound doctrine. The word sound meaning correct or right. The word doctrine meaning beliefs that we, we hold to because of God the Father and Jesus the Son, our Savior and Messiah. So, he says, so he's looking at Titus, basically. Titus, your job as the pastor, your job as the preacher is to say, to speak what the church and the disciples ought to live out. Let me give you an example. How many of you guys uh, ever remember playing Simon Says in, in, in elementary school, middle school? Just Maybe it's like a fun little team builder at your work or something, Simon Says, right? So we're just going to play a quick game of Simon Says this morning. You guys ready? All right, everyone go ahead, raise your right hand. Ah, see, some of you have five-year-olds like, I knew this was coming. I knew it. It's the trick that I play, right? Remember, you don't do anything unless Simon Says to do it. So let's you're back in, okay? We're not going to kick you out or anything like that, all right? Let's, let's start over. Simon says, raise your right hand. Simon says, take your right hand and touch your left shoulder. See, now half of you, you touched your right shoulder and not your left shoulder. Some of you kind of pause, and Simon says you can take your right hand off your left shoulder now. You see, you see what we do oftentimes says more than what we say. By watching me, Simon, touch my right shoulder instead of my left, even though I said touch your left shoulder, many of you touched your right shoulder. So Paul is saying the same exact thing. He's saying, Titus, remind the Christians, remind the disciples, remind the church that, yeah, while we, yes, we hold to a truth that is different, it's what we do that says more and communicates who we are as people than just what we say. So this is where he goes into some of these sound doctrines, these actions that people are supposed to live out. I'm going to summarize verses 2 through 10 for you. You can read this later in the week. You'll probably discuss it in your group if you're in one. If you're not in a group, we encourage you to stop off at the Next Steps kiosk, uh, meet rolling there after service, and get connected into a group. And what happens here is, is five different kind of demographics of people get laid out. And for each demographic, there are some things that we would all probably say, oh yeah, I would say that that group of people tends to maybe struggle with that. And so it's, it's, it's addressing the values of living a surrendered life. And so Paul writes to, to Timothy, he says, so to the older men, teach them this type of doctrine and stuff that they need to live out. To the older women, teach them this. To the younger women, to the younger men, to the slaves, which we would say to the employees, ultimately teach them these values of how the truth of Jesus transforms our lives. It's values like this, to live reverent, to live self-controlled, to live in purity, to, to, to seek freedom from drunkenness, to live uh, with full integrity and sound speech, and goes on and on and on. There's all of these values given. A lot of them, we could summarize it in saying, teach people, model to people, say to them how they ought to live out their faith in a manner that is compelling to the world around them. I always find it interesting that the only trait, the only value that is consistent across all five groups is the command to be self-controlled. I just find it interesting because I know I don't lack self-control in any way, shape, or form, and so I'm not sure about you guys. That was a massive joke. So the question goes, though, why? Why are we called to live different? 
Why are we called to act different? Why are we called to believe different? Get this. As he's wrapping up this, this command, these doctrines in verse 10, he says, so that, do these things live differently, so that in every way they will make the teaching about our God and Savior attractive. You know, as disciples, we need to live in a way that people take notice. Oh man, did you just see what he did? You'll never believe how loving she is. That group of people, they, they, they're so forgiving. I've never understood that before. That there needs to be something attractive by the way that we live that compels people to ask questions, to want to come close, to lean in, to know more. See, this kind of goes against the, the culture and the society of Crete. In, in Titus chapter 1, verse 12, he said that Cretans, they're always liars, they're evil brutes, they're lazy gluttons. Are those the type of people that you'd want to hang out with? Right, if you introduced me, this is my friend Tom. Tom, it's nice to meet you. Well, what can you tell me about Tom? Well, Tom, he's kind of, uh, he's kind of an evil brute. He's a massive liar and he's super lazy. I'd be like, why are you hanging out with Tom then, bro? Because <laughs> what we do communicates more than what we say. Let me just test this out this morning. What is more attractive to you? Would you rather be around a reverent, a temperament, self-controlled, older gentleman, or one that is always angry and off the wall? Would you rather befriend the lady who constantly talks negatively about others or the one who only has positive things to say? Would you rather be in the relationship with the young man or the young woman who is self-controlled, pursues purity, and is full of integrity, or the one who is aloof, neglects their purity, and cannot be trusted? There needs to be something attractive about the way that we live that compels people to ask questions. Why? Because as disciples, we are called to act different. There's a different way in which we believe that leads us to acting different. See, the command is to live counterculturally, but not in a way that is maybe overzealous or negative, but it's a way that is compelling for other people. Because if people are attracted to our actions, they're probably going to start to get interested in our message. Because that's what it's about living in a manner that's attractive so that people can lean in and hear the message of Jesus. That we win people over more by what we do than what we say. And I know some of you are probably throwing the challenge back. Wait, wait, hold up, Eric. Time out, time out, time out, time out. I thought this whole faith thing is about grace and faith and not about what I do. It's not about my actions. It's, it's, it's all about the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus. This doesn't seem to be correlating what's going on here. It seems like you're kind of, you know, tugging the rug out from under us a little bit. Let me put it this way. That when we receive the salvation of Jesus, it is purely from the work of Jesus alone, never a work of ourselves. But then that work has transformed our life and it should begin to transform us in a way in which we are living obedient to the life that Jesus has laid before us. But Paul says, so before, before we get any confusion, let me jump back to the gospel and let me show you how grace gets fleshed out in the life of the disciple. 
Picking up in verse 11, Paul goes on to say this to Timothy. He says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. I've got a couple of toddlers at home, so I'm really good at that part. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to, I'm going to add this, say yes, to live self-controlled. There it is again upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then, are the things that you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So let me, let me jump to verse 15 and then I'll circle around to verse 11. Verse 15 ends with a, a direct command from Paul to Titus. He says, Titus, so now it's your job as the pastor, as the teacher, as the preacher you need to teach these things with encouragement and with rebuke. Let me be honest with you for a second. One of those is really, really fun to do. One of those is not. I love to bring encouragement into people's lives. I love to encourage people to remind them what Jesus has called them to do, the plans that he has for their life, the blessings that he gives to those who follow on the path that he has laid out. Rebuke, on the other hand, isn't really that fun to bring. You know, I, I, I get no pleasure. All right, everyone, go ahead and let's take off your shoes and everybody line up. I'm just going to come by, just stomp on a bunch of toes. That was fun for me. Was it fun for you? No? Okay, cool. Well, we'll see you back next week. <laughs> the thing is, the gospel, what it does is it, it keeps in tension both the encouragement and the rebuke. You see, encouragement isn't just affirming what you are doing and saying, you know what, you're doing all right, buddy. Just kind of keep going and try to do better next time. No, encouragement is saying you've figured it out. You know the truth. You know the path that Jesus has laid for you. You know that his way is the best way, that his way is the better way to live. So keep on doing it. The way you held your tongue, the way you said no, the way in which you resisted, the way in which you went out of your way, the way in which you forgive. Keep doing those things because that is who Jesus has called us to be. That is encouragement. The other side is rebuke. And rebuke isn't, let me just drop the hammer on you. I'm a firm believer that we're beat up enough in life as it is. Rebuke isn't just throwing punches because we can. Rebuke is saying, you've kind of drifted a little bit. You've kind of gotten off course. Look, I need you to come back. Because on the other side, down that course, you can get lost. It's dark, you might trip, fall, you might hurt yourself, you might find yourself in pain that I don't want you to go through. So I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to want to hear. It might hurt your feelings, and it hurts me saying this, but this is for your highest good. That is what grace does. It encourages us that Jesus has accomplished everything and laid out the course in life. And the gospel, the Jesus that we know, also rebukes us to say, but this then is also how you should live. There are churches, there are pastors out there who all they do is encourage. 
Encourage, encourage, encourage. And what I see time to time with people who all they receive is encouragement after encouragement after encouragement is they begin to drift and they wonder why the sin and the brokenness that they're chasing after is leading them to a world of pain. There are other churches and pastors who all they want to do is bring rebuke, tell you how you're not good enough, how you need to try harder, how you need to do better next week. And that's not fun either because it paints God as unloving and simply harsh. Instead, what we need to do is bring together encouragement and a rebuke that allows us all to live on the path that God has in store for us. So it's our commitment as pastors, it's our commitment as your teachers to bring encouragement when it's appropriate and to bring rebuke when it is appropriate. We want everyone to feel loved. We want everyone to feel welcome. We want everyone to know that you can find life here. But here's the thing, is that if we preach the truth and the gospel as it is, it will rebuke some. It will rebuke all of us at some point or another. Because the gospel is offensive. The gospel tells each and every one of us we're sinful, we're broken, and we can't do it on ourselves. And that's not a message that is fun. That's a message of rebuke. Turn from your sin, repent, believe in Jesus. And so this is one of those moments this morning. We want to provide for you encouragement and rebuke, perhaps where you are in your faith with Jesus. You see, grace does not mean that what we do does not matter. What we do matters greatly because oftentimes the only gospel someone may ever hear is by watching how you act. If you call yourself a Christian, if they know you attend this church or any other church, how you act, how you live is going to communicate a gospel to them. The grace of Jesus has allowed us to be freed from the bondage of our sin and has given us freedom to say no. And that's what Paul begins to say to Titus. He says, remind people, there's kind of two, two commands here with grace. is Say no to worldly passions and ungodliness because of the grace of Jesus that lives in us and has transformed us powerfully and say yes to being self-controlled, upright, holy living. Colossians uh, 3 kind of says it similarly when Paul writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, not things above of the earth. Ultimately, we need to act different because different stands out. Saying yes to Jesus means learning to say no to sin. Sin is our worldly passions, the ungodliness that tries to vie for our attention and our time. Here's the thing that, that sin and Satan will never tell you. They'll never tell you, hey, we want you to lean in and keep doing this so much that uh, we're never going to let you go. We want to trap you in this. We want to get you so invested that you see no other way out. You see, every, uh, every Friday is uh, daddy daycare at the Friedman house. 
the office is closed, and so I, uh, I get my kids. If the weather's good, I take them to the park. We've got Avery. She's our eight-month-old daughter. Uh, so she just kind of sits out in the stroller with the shade, and I give her some of those super bland rice crackers that she just, she's like the Michelin man. She's got rolls on rolls on rolls and, and that type of stuff. And then there's Jude. Jude's our three-year-old, and he's crazy. You know, he's, he, just, he, just, he goes to the park, and he just starts, like, spazzing out because he's so excited. And so whenever we get there, the first thing that Jude does is he always goes to the small playground first, or the, the small jungle gym, and he, he goes up those stairs. It's almost like he's, like, getting stretched out and warmed up. So he goes up the small things, and he climbs through the little netting, and he goes down the little slide, and then eventually he starts making his way to the bigger things. He goes on one of those spinny things that... I would just, I like want to throw up just watching him because I don't do spinny things. He climbs all the way to the top of the big jungle gym and he goes down the slides and he's working on the monkey bars. And and inevitably, here's what happens, okay? I'm sitting at the bench. I'm kind of watching Avery. Jude's playing. Jude, buddy, be careful. That's high. Slow down. Don't hurt yourself. Have fun, but be careful in what you're doing. And, and all he knows is, well, this is just fun. I'm just going to keep, I'm going to do it more. I'm going to go higher. I'm going to go faster. Daddy, daddy, look, look, have fun. And then, and then at some point, he will get stuck. He will fall. He's so high that he doesn't know how he got there and he doesn't know how to get down. And so inevitably, he'll get to this point in which he just screams, daddy, save me. Daddy, help me. What I don't do is, well, I thought you were having fun, man. Figure it out yourself. You're three. Come on. No, no, I, I, I run over to him, and I hug him, and I pick him up, and I say, I love you. But just know you need to be safe. You need to be careful. And that's what sin tries to do. The worldly passions, the ungodliness is to say, go to the highest slide. Spin faster, run around, but inevitably you will get to a point in which you are stuck. You will fall and get hurt. You won't know how to get down, and your only resort is to call out for your Father in heaven. God, save me. I was just having fun. I don't know how I wound up here. I I was just, just kind of trying to just go a little bit further, and this time I actually fell, and it left me bruised and broken and tattered. God, I don't like this. Will you save me? Will you come take care of me? So when we say no to the ungodliness, to the worldly passions of our life, what we're really saying no to is the stuff that will harm us in the end. I heard it said recently that sin, the worldly passions and ungodliness, that is the most fun that you will ever have that will end in your destruction. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't be tempted. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. What Satan and sin do is they take what is good, they take the blessings of God, and instead of it being a gift of God, they turn it into a God that it was never intended to be. It's not wrong to make money, but it's wrong to make God into the money in your bank account. It's not wrong to have hobbies and enjoy life, 
but you're saying yes to worldliness when that replaces everything else in your life. You fill in the blank with whatever it is the world is trying to shoot your way. It's probably not in and of itself bad, but is it trying to become a god or idol that it was never meant to be? Because there is only one thing worthy and valuable of our worship as God, and that is Jesus Christ. Therefore, we act different. We say no to worldliness, ungodliness, worldly passions, because Jesus has made us different. As we move to a time of response this morning, I want to bring back this illustration that we showed you last week. To summarize it, this is called a clapboard. And what the clapboard exists to do is when uh, TV shows or movies, when they go into the editing phase of their content, it syncs everything up. Because when you're filming something, on, on one device you are catching the visual, what you will see, and on another device you're catching the audio and what you will hear. And so when they go in to edit it, they do this, and that's how they know to sync it up. So take one, take seven, take 117. And they begin to, to weave it together by saying, okay, that is where the audio and visual needs to line up. That when things are synced up, they become distinct into the way that they were meant to be. Our lives are supposed to be the same. That people will hear one thing from us and they will see another. And if they are not matched up, people will turn us off. They will neglect our message. They will not listen. No matter how strong, how loud, how articulate, how verbose we are in what we say, if it does not match how we act differently from them as well, they will not hear us. What we believe needs to also affect what we do. I love in verse 13 when Paul writes, while we wait. It's a small phrase, but it's a reminder of this already but not yet component of our faith that we have already been saved from the bondage of our sin, that we have already been secure and redeemed and we have been ultimately eternally purified by the work of Jesus. We have already received all of that from Jesus, but we are not yet completely whole. We are not yet completely perfect. We are not yet completely able to resist every sin that easily entangles us. We do not have to pay for that debt, but it still creeps into our lives. The temptations still work their way in. And he says, so while we wait, knowing that you, we, we, we just need to try, try harder, try better to sync up, not because it's your strength, but because Jesus lives in you. That anyone who has professed faith in Jesus has said that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so every day, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, I want to sync up better and more frequently what I know to be true, what I believe about my Savior who has lived inside of me and who is currently changing me and transforming me, and I want it to match what I do. I don't do it for myself. I don't do it for anything other than for my God, but I also... But I want people to know 
going to sync up what I believe and what I do because I want the world to know that this is the way of Jesus. This is the better way. This is the good way. This is the best way. This is the way that leads to life and not hurt or not brokenness or destruction. I'm not perfect. There are days in which I am synced up. There are many days in which I am not. What I can tell you is that the more time I spend with Jesus, the more consistently what I know to be true, what he has said is true about me, becomes what I do. While we wait, already but not yet, it's kind of like my way of saying this, that I am not who I want to be or who I need to be, but I'm definitely not who I used to be. That the, 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 the Jesus is, is continually living in me so that those temptations, that self-control, the things that are trying to vie for my time and my attention, those are slowly making their way. It's easier to remain calm. I don't say the words quite as bad as I used to, even though maybe I just think them now instead of saying them. That the self-control to say no to what the world is trying to get me to dive into. It's not perfect, but day by day, week by week, month by month, it is getting there. I'm becoming more in sync with who Jesus has made me to be. Because Jesus has made me different. For all of us in here this morning, Jesus has made you different too. Through faith and through belief in his grace and his grace alone, we are encouraged that we live through him and we are rebuked to be reminded that we live through him. So may we be a church, may you be disciples where we can confidently say day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. I'm sinking up what I know to be true and what others are seeing in me. That I've been changed and Jesus is still working on me. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we worship you because you are good. We worship you, Lord, because only you are worthy to be worshiped. And Lord, I pray right now as we seek to be a church and we seek to be disciples, that ultimately we are reminded of your grace and that's through your grace alone that we have been purified and redeemed. And so for those of us who need that encouragement this morning to be reminded to continue to say no to those things and continue to say yes to your things, God, may you encourage them. And for those of us sitting here this morning, may, may you rebuke those of us who need to be rebuked because we've been saying yes to the things you want us to say no to. We've been saying no to the things you want us to say yes to. We thank you, Lord, though, that your grace is still for us, that you have not forgotten us, that you've not kicked us out, that you are still proud to call us your sons and daughters because of your son, Jesus be that church. May we be that people. It's your name that we pray. Amen. So as the band continues to lead us in worship this morning over these next few songs, we'd love for you to respond in a couple ways.
There are communion stations all throughout the room where you can take a little cracker and juice. Remember, when you do that, how Jesus lived differently and calls you to live differently as well. You can visit one of our give and respond boxes to drop in that connect card or your tithes and offerings to give back to God in that way. You can also approach the front of the stage here and if you want to kneel before God, come to the altar and pray and say, God, tell me to say no. Tell me to say yes. Sustain me through this life. Would you stand with us as we continue to gather and worship and celebrate Jesus our Lord?